This morning we have come to the moment in our worship service where we hear from God's word. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. We will be considering the entirety of the chapter. Let us hear God's word this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you, you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the, 20th, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word because it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. I pray, Father, that this morning we would be instructed by your word, that you would cause us to be devoted to you and live our lives for your glory and to the praise of your name. Amen. Amen. 
For many of us, this week has been a long week. And quite honestly, we could think of many other places where we could be at this morning. You could be right now getting the last arrangements ready to celebrate Father's Day. You could be at home catching up on some rest, but you are here, gathered with God's people. And the question I want to ask you this morning, is it worth it? Is it worth the struggle to get everyone up out of bed into the car to gather with God's people? And the answer that we get from Haggai this morning is a resounding yes. Today we are going to see through the book of Haggai that God delights dwelling with his people. God takes pleasure and is glorified when he dwells with those whom he has chosen for himself. God dwelling with his people is the storyline of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God's people dwelling with God in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That is a summary of the entirety of the Bible. Nancy Guthrie in her book, Even Better Than Eden, shows us that from the dwelling in Eden to the tabernacle in the wilderness, to the Solomon's temple, to the second temple, all the way to the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, what we find is God desiring to dwell with his people. And why does God delight to dwell with his people? Because where God dwells, he rules, and where he rules, there is everlasting joy and blessing for his people. The exhortation, therefore, that we receive from the prophet Haggai this morning is this. We must prioritize God's dwelling place. We must prioritize God's dwelling place. And how do we prioritize God's dwelling place? Well, I think this morning Haggai gives us two warnings and one encouragement. Haggai is considered a post-exilic prophet, which is just a fancy word to say that he prophesied after the, Israel, the Jewish people returned from the captivity in Babylon. And God had threatened God's people with departure because of their disobedience. Numerous times he had warned them and Finally, in the year 722, the northern tribes were exiled to Assyria. And in the year 586 B.C., Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. God made good on his promises, but he never abandoned his people. And so here we are in the book of Haggai. The year is 520 B.C. and most likely in the month of August... And 66 years have passed since the captivity to Babylon. And God worked to deliver his people and bring them out out of captivity. And he brought them back to the land of promise in order that he might dwell with them. And we receive the first warning that God gives us through the prophet Haggai this morning is that we must 
Since God's eternal purposes are to dwell with his people forever, he is displeased when we do not prioritize his dwelling place. God is displeased when we do not prioritize his dwelling place. That is what we get here in the first verses of Haggai chapter 1. We must remember that the condition of God's people here is that they're discouraged. Uh, they have been exiled to Babylon. They are now brought back into the promised land, but they are surrounded by nations that are antagonistic towards God's people. Long gone were the days of the Davidic dynasty, and long gone is Solomon's temple, which was burned at the Babylonian invasion. So here we have a fledgling group of people who are scared and who are often discouraged. And God is commanding them to build, to prioritize the building of the temple. And now us being removed from these people 2,500 years, is probably we don't exactly understand how they were feeling in total. But we do share with them moments of discouragement in our lives. Just like they were discouraged, seeing that the land was devastated, seeing that the surrounding nations were hostile to them, we too are discouraged when we live in this hostile world that is always being belligerent towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, God's people, during Haggai's ministry, were discouraged and because they were discouraged, they developed wrong priorities. Because they were threatened, they prioritized the temporary over against the eternal. But notice the accusation in verse 2. This is where God accuses the people of Israel. Through the prophet Haggai, he says, These people say, now is not the time to be busy with God's house. Notice that the people don't say, we're not going to build God's house. They say, now is not the time to build God's house. It's not the time yet. Maybe later, maybe at another time, maybe when it's more convenient, maybe when we feel more secure, maybe when the Messiah comes, but not now. We'll do that later. But you must wonder, what is this fuss about with a house? It, why is God so worked up about a piece of real estate on a Jewish hillside? God who can't be contained by this world. God who doesn't dwell in temples made of human hands. God who considers the earth his footstool. Why is God so worked up about a house? Why is God so concerned about this dwelling place. The reason is because this is just not any house. This is not God's side hustle investment property. It's not like a Chip or Joanna Gaines remodel at Magnolia. This is not a flip that God wants to make. This is where God has dwelled with his people. And it's the symbol of where God that God dwells among those whom he has chosen to himself. 
That's why from the beginning, we see that God has always wanted to dwell with his people because where he dwells, he rules for his glory and the good of his people. Remember the storyline of the Bible, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's what we get at the beginning and that's how, what we get at the end. That's how it started. That's how it will finish. So God confronts them. He says in verse 5, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore the Lord of hosts says, Consider your ways. Twice the Lord says, Consider your ways. A literal translation of the Hebrew text is, Set your heart upon your ways. That is to ponder deeply about your deepest commitments. God was calling his people to take an honest assessment of their lifestyle choices and consider the outcome of those choices. Consider your ways is a serious business. This is not a a, a momentary glance at your life. This is not like if you were looking at the menu at a restaurant seeing what to order. This is an intentional focused attention to the path that we have taken as God's people. Consider your ways. You are being invited almost to like a give, give your own gravesite eulogy. At the end of your life, what will you be known for? Consider your ways. The reason God is challenging his people to consider their ways is because their decision making lacked wisdom. They said that it was not time to prioritize the symbol of where God had promised to dwell with them in the promised land. They said that there were no resources available for them. They had resources for their house, but they didn't have, seems that they didn't have resources for God's house. That is idolatry. But notice what's being contrasted here. Again, it's not a piece of real estate that is being contrasted. What's not being contrasted is the Temple Mount merely. It is, but that is symbolic of something greater and more glorious. And the glorious temple where God has promised to be with his people, to be their God and they be his people, is being compared to paneled homes. I'm not sure if you ever heard about the Astolat Castle. It's an amazing castle, 30 rooms, seven levels of pure luxury. It's estimated to, worth, to be worth $8.5 million. But it's a dollhouse. Just imagine you have $8.5 million dollars Would you ever think of investing those $8.5 million, no matter how grand and beautiful this dollhouse is of 30 rooms and seven levels of pure luxury, would you ever invest $8.5 million in a dollhouse over against a seaside mansion on the Florida coast? Well, despising God's house is like if you were investing 
in that $8.5 million dollhouse. It's utterly foolish. Prioritizing your house over above God's house is utter foolishness. And that is what the prophet Haggai is trying to communicate, communicate to God's people. Because their houses was temporal. The God's house pointed to something eternal, everlasting, and glorious. So the warning is, God is displeased when his house, his dwelling place, is not prioritized. Haggai, having warned us about God's displeasure when his house is not prioritized, he then warns us of the devastating consequences of having wrong priorities. The devastating consequences of having wrong priorities. And he says, look at verse 9, you, because you have invested more in your dollhouses, if, as it were, you looked for much, verse 9, and behold, it came to little. In other words, God was telling them, you waste so much energy for nothing. Just imagine if you plant a tomato plant and you water it on a regular basis, fertilize it correctly, and you do all that is necessary to tend to this tomato plant. And in the end, what you harvest is an empty vine. That would be a utter waste of time. It's empty. It's all empty. Haggai goes on to describe covenantal curses for neglecting God's dwelling place, which is, in essence, neglecting God's presence. God says, I have called for the drought on the land and the hills. Notice there in verse 11. On the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth. Those are the devastating consequences of wrong priorities, that we will invest our efforts and waste our efforts. These are the devastating consequences of seeking to build our kingdom first. So Haggai warns us of God's displeasure if we don't prioritize God's dwelling place, God's presence. He gives us a warning about the devastating consequences of priority, prioritizing our houses, our kingdoms before God's kingdom. Then having done so, he moves towards an encouragement. Since God's eternal purposes are to dwell with his people forever, God encourages us to devoted obedience in prioritizing his dwelling place. He tells his people, look at verse 8, Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. God is realigning the misplaced priorities. God is telling his people what they should prioritize first. How did God's people respond? 
Well, they took the encouragement with, because they respond with devoted obedience. In verse 12, we see that God's people heeded the word of the prophet Haggai, and they built the house. It says, Then Sarubabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God who sent him. And the people feared the Lord. They realized that it was more satisfying and God-glorifying to waste themselves in building God's house than lavishing all their resources on their own houses. In other words, they were following what Jesus would later tell his disciples to do, which says, seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and then all the things will be added to you. Don't invert the priority. It is in seeking God's kingdom and his glory that will prove the most beneficial and satisfying to our souls. But often we feel empty. We feel like that verse 11 where the oil on the ground, the the oil and what the ground brings forth is gone. We feel like verse 6 Whatever we earn goes into bags that have holes. And God is calling us to something better. Notice three things of this devoted obedience that we find here as God's people respond in obedience to God's word. God's response to their obedience is that he promises to be with them. That's what we see in verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. And that is important because how is God with them? By enabling them to accomplish what he is demanding of them. Look at verse 14. It says that, the spirit, that God stirred up the spirits of Zerubbabel, of Joshua, and the remnant people. By God being with them, they had the assurance that God would enable them and help them accomplish what God has, was requiring of them. And it says that they worked in verse 14. And they came and worked. And that is the second thing we noticed because that word worked is important. Because it's the same word used when God gifted the craftsmen to build the original tabernacle. In Exodus 31 says, I have filled these craftsmen with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship. Why did God fill them with his Spirit? To do the work that was necessary in building the Tabernacle, which was God's dwelling place, and the same is happening here. God did not just move the spirits of the leaders, He moved the spirit and stirred the spirit of the people. God helped His people. 
and they exhibited devoted obedience in prioritizing God's dwelling place. Now, it is important for us to know that in Haggai's time, the temple was the visible symbol of God's enduring presence in the midst of his people. But for us, it is different. For us, the symbol of God's presence among us is not a temple, but a person. It is Christ himself. The New Testament is clear in describing that for us. Christ is our Emmanuel, God with us. In John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt, or the word can be translated tabernacled among us. Christ is the new and better temple. And it is through our union with Christ that we have access to God's presence. But there's a problem. Jesus has ascended and is at the right hand of God the Father. And for this reason, Christ poured out his spirit on the church. And now the church is God's living temple. That's what we find in Ephesians chapter 2. It is a temple made and built up by God, made up of both Jew and Gentile. And our task then is to build God's house. And that means we are to build up one another in our faith. In other words, the exhortation that God gave through the prophet Haggai was to prioritize God's place where he dwelt, was the access that they had to God's presence. And by God's grace, the means by which God has made himself present in this world is through the spirit-empowered church. And that's why when there is, whatever the world will tell you, what we're doing this morning is the most important thing we do all week. It's being gathered together with God's people that sing God's praises and proclaim the truths of the gospel to one another. And there is nothing in the world that can replace that. But this is a problem for us because... It's impossible to be devoted to building up one another because by nature we are selfish. So we can't do this in our own strength. And just as God stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, uh, of, um, uh, of Jehoshadak, the priests, and the remnant people, God must work by his spirit in our lives. The problem that we face is that anytime we are called to prioritize others, God's glory and others before us, we run into our own self-centeredness. Several years ago, I was with my wife visiting my family in Florida, and I decided to take my, uh, my wife's niece and nephew out to putt-putt. And uh, my wife's nephew was the younger of the two. So 
I let him go first in most of the holes. Um, it was a small putt-putt, 18 holes, and uh, I would let him go first and his sister second. But towards the end of the course, because his sister had not gone first in putting, I told my wife's nephew to let his sister go first. Uh, and he got extremely upset. He did not want to let his sister go first. And as I am explaining to him that he had gone first in 15 previous holes, it was okay for him to let his sister do the last holes. And he, when I'm trying to explain this to him, he looks at me and he says, you are destroying my joy. (laughs) And that was an insightful moment for me. Not only did the doctrine of original sin, uh, was it cemented in my mind, but I said to myself, that is exactly how I feel when I am called to give myself for the benefit of my brother and sister. I focus on me and I feel there is a destruction of my happiness. I feel like my joy is being robbed. Have you ever felt that way? When I get home, I don't want to think about someone else. I don't want to pay attention to the needs of others. I want some me time. I want to chill. And that is contrary to what we find our Savior doing. The gospel tells us that Jesus had a zeal for God's house. He had a zeal zeal for God's kingdom. In Church of Jesus Christ, we must have the same zeal. We must prioritize building up one another in the holy, the most holy faith. This morning... The admonition that we have before us is that we must take inventory on where our time and our money is going. We are to consider, as we have here this morning, our ways. Apart from Sunday mornings, which are glorious, I ask you, is there a Christ-empowered, Holy Spirit-enabled investment in God's house, in God's people? I'm sure many of you are invested. And to you, I say, be more invested. Be more devoted. But if you are here this morning, and if you are considering your ways, and if you are taking stock and making an assessment of how you have, what you have prioritized in your life, the warning is this. Be devoted to God's house, God's people. Paul tells us, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, encourage one another, building up one another. The word is to build up, to construct, to encourage one another. 
So let us prioritize God's dwelling place. Let us not be content with just merely attending Sunday mornings. Rather, let's be involved in one, another, one, other, one another's lives, just like Pastor John was praying this morning. Let's take a moment and set aside the entertainment for a while. Maybe it means to slow down a little bit on social media. Maybe it means grabbing a pen and paper and write an encouraging letter to a brother. Maybe it's a write an encouraging letter to your elders, thanking them for their hard work and devotedness to this congregation. Maybe you can read a book with one another. Maybe you can visit a brother or sister who you haven't seen a while. Let's be devoted. Let's have this zeal for God's house because it is where God has promised to meet with his people. The reformers and the early church fathers would say, you can't have God as father without having the church as mother. This is where God has determined to have his presence be known. It is through the spirit-empowered witness of the local churches that God is making his ways known to the entire world. He is establishing his kingdom through his church. So, let us prioritize God's dwelling place. Maybe this morning you're a regular visitor and you haven't made a decision to become a member of God's covenant people. The encouragement this morning is don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Join now and invest your life in the most soul-satisfying, God-exalting building project that you will ever be a part of. This morning, the hope of the gospel is extended toward to you. We are being encouraged that we must prioritize God's dwelling place. This is the exhortation, the encouragement that we receive from God's word. Today, you might be discouraged. You, like the people in the time of Haggai, you have lost desire, energy to build for the glory of God. Maybe you, as you reflect on your life, you see that you have not prioritized God's dwelling place. This morning, this is not a time to be looking merely at yourself. Yes, make the assessment, but after making the assessment, for every glance you take at yourself, take 10 glances at Jesus Christ, your Savior, because it is through His work, through His zeal, through His perfect obedience to the Father, through His right priorities that have been imputed to us that we, are, we stand justified before our God, and, our God and Father. So this morning, look to Christ and let the reality that you have been united to Christ be the source of the power for, by which you devote yourself to God's people, to God's building project. Let us not waste our hard-earned money 
on dollhouses. But let us invest in the building project that will have eternal dividends. Let us pray. Father, you send your word forth as precipitation is sent forth to water the earth. We thank you that your word will not turn back void, but it will accomplish your will and those who have heard it this morning. Let the work of your word be manifest in our lives that we would be moved for your glory to devote ourselves to your dwelling place. I pray that you would work this in our lives through Christ. Amen.